Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening, and welcome to your nightmares. Where we like to keep it dark and dreamy here at Dark Softly Tales, this is your host, Mav. And this week, we've reached the conclusion of Algernon Blackwood's The Wendigo. Whew, what a journey it was narrating this story. There has been a lot going on the last couple months, and, um, wow. A quick note. I am going to be taking two weeks off as I am still recovering from the crazy last few weeks prepping for the Summer Bite series and also for a short series we will be doing on the Pied Piper of Hamlin. I haven't decided how I want to structure the Pied Piper stuff, but I do want to take some time on it because the history is fascinating and chilling. Okay, my friends, find yourself a comfortable place to rest as the ending of this story is pretty suspenseful. But don't worry, I got your hand. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. The Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood Narrated by Mav Sky Part 6, Chapter 8 Then at length the darkness, having thus laboriously conceived, brought forth a figure. It drew forward into the zone of uncertain light, where fire and shadows mingled, not ten feet away, then halted, staring at them fixedly. The same instant it started forward again with a motion of a thing moved by wires, and coming up closer to them, full into the glare of the fire, they perceived then that it was a man, and apparently that this man was Defago. Something like a skin of horror almost perceptibly drew down in that moment over every face. And three pairs of eyes shone through it as though they saw across the frontiers of normal vision into the unknown. Defago advanced, his tread faltering and uncertain. He made his way straight up to them as a group first, then turned sharply and peered close into the face of Simpson. The sound of a voice issued from his lips. Here I am, Boss Simpson. I heard something calling me. It was a faint, dried-up voice, made wheezy and breathless as by immense exertion. I'm having a regular hellfire kind of trip, I am. And he laughed, thrusting his head forward into the other's face. 
But that laugh started the machinery of the group of waxwork figures with the wax-white skins. Hank immediately sprang forward with a stream of oaths so far-fetched that Simpson did not recognize them as English at all. He only realized that Hank's presence, thrust thus between them, was welcome. Uncommonly welcome. Dr. Cathcart, though more calmly and leisurely, advanced behind him, heavily stumbling. Simpson seems hazy as to what was actually said and done in those next few seconds. For the eyes of that detestable and blasted visage, peering at such close quarters into his own, utterly bewildered his senses at first. He merrily stood still. He said nothing. He had not the trained will of the older men that forced them into action and defiance of all emotional stress. He watched them moving as behind a glass that half destroyed their reality. It was dreamlike, perverted. Yet, through the torrent of Hank's meaningless phrases, he remembers hearing his uncle's tone of authority, hard and forced, saying several things about food and warmth, blankets and whiskey, and the rest. And, further, that whiffs of that penetrating, unaccustomed odor, vile yet sweetly bewildering, assailed his nostrils during all that followed. It was no less a person than himself, however, less experienced and adroit than the others, though he was, who gave instinctive utterance to the sentence that brought a measure of relief into the ghastly situation by expressing the doubt and thought in each one's heart. It is you, isn't it, Defago? Simpson asked under his breath, horror breaking his speech. And at once, Cathcart burst out with a loud answer before the other had time to move his lips. Of course it is! Of course it is! Only can't you see he's nearly dead with exhaustion, cold and terror. Isn't that enough to change a man beyond all recognition? It was said in order to convince himself as much as to convince the others. The overemphasis alone proved that. And continually, while he spoke and acted, he held a handkerchief to his nose. That odor pervaded the whole camp. For the Defago, who sat huddled by the big fire, wrapped in blankets, drinking hot whiskey and holding food in his wasted hands, was no more like the guy they had seen last alive than the picture of a man that is 60 years of his early youth and the costume of another generation. Nothing really can describe that ghastly character, that parody masquerading there in the firelight as Defago. From the ruins of the dark and awful memories he still retains, Simpson declares that the face was more animal than human, the features drawn about into wrong proportions, the skin loose and hanging, as though he had been subjected to extraordinary pressures and tensions. It made him think vaguely of those bladder faces blown up by the hawkers on Ludgate Hill that change their expression as they swell and, as they collapse, emit a faint and wailing imitation of a voice. Both face and voice suggested some kind of abominable resemblance, but Cathcart, long afterwards, seeking to describe the indescribable, asserts that thus might have looked a face and body that had been in the air so rarefied that, 
the weight of atmosphere being removed, the entire structure threatened to fly asunder and become incoherent. It was Hank, though all distraught and shaking with a tearing volume of emotion he could neither handle nor understand, who brought things to a head without much ado. He went off to a little distance from the fire, apparently so that the light should not dazzle him too much, and shading his eyes for a moment with both hands, shouted in a loud voice that held anger and affection dreadfully mingled. You ain't DeFago. You ain't DeFago at all. I don't give a damn, but that ain't you, my old pal 20 years. He glared upon the huddled figure as though he would destroy him with his eyes. And if it is, I'll swab the floor of hell with a wad of cotton wool on a toothpick. So help me, good God, he added with a violent fling of horror and disgust. It was impossible to silence him. He stood there shouting like one possessed, horrible to see, horrible to hear. Because it was the truth. He repeated himself in fifty different ways, each more outlandish than the last. The words rang with echoes. At one time it looked as if he meant to fling himself upon the intruder, for his hand continually jerked toward the long hunting knife in his belt. But in the end, he did nothing, and the whole tempest completed itself fairly shortly with tears. Hank's voice suddenly broke. He collapsed on the ground and Cathcart somehow or other persuaded him at last to go into the tent and lie down, quiet. The remainder of the affair, indeed, was witnessed by him from behind the canvas, his white and terrified face peeping through the crack of the tent door flap. Then Dr. Cathcart, closely followed by his nephew, who so far had kept his courage better than all of them, went up with a determined air and stood opposite to the figure of DeFago, huddled over the fire. He looked him squarely in the face and spoke. At first, his voice was firm. DeFago, tell us what has happened, just a little, so that we can know how best to help you. He asked in a tone of authority, almost of command. And at that point, it was command. At once afterwards, however, it changed in quality, for the figure turned up to him a face so piteous, so terrible, and so little like humanity, that the doctor shrank back from him as from something spiritually unclean. Simpson, who watched close behind him, says he got the impression of a mask that was on the verge of dropping off, and that underneath they would discover something black and diabolical, revealed in utter nakedness. Out with it, man, out with it, Cathcart cried, terror running neck and neck with entreaty. None of us can stand this much longer. It was the cry of instinct over reason. And then DeFago, smiling whitely, answered in that thin and fading voice that already seemed passing over into the sound of quite another character. I seen that great Wendigo thing he whispered, sniffing the air about him exactly like an animal. I been with it too. Whether the poor devil would have said more, or whether Dr. Cathcart would have continued the impossible cross-examination, 
cannot be known. For at that moment the voice of Hank was heard yelling at the top of his voice from behind the canvas that concealed all but his terrified eyes. Such a howling was never heard. His feet! Oh God, his feet! Look at his great changed feet! DeFago, shuffling where he sat, had moved in such a way that for the first time his legs were in full light and his feet were visible. Yet Simpson had no time himself to see properly what Hank had seen, and Hank has never seen fit to tell. That same instant, with a leap like that of a frightened tiger, Cathcart was upon him, bundling the folds of blanket about his legs with such speed that the young student caught little more than a passing glimpse of something dark and oddly masked where moccasined feet ought to have been, and saw even that, but with uncertain vision. Then, before the doctor had time to do more, or Simpson time to even think a question, much less ask it, DeFega was standing upright in front of them, balancing with pain and difficulty, and upon his shapeless and twisted visage, an expression so dark and so malicious that it was, in the true sense, monstrous. Now, you've seen it too, he wheezed. You seen my fiery burning feet. And now, that is, unless you can save me and prevent, it's about time for... His piteous and beseeching voice was interrupted by a sound that was like the roar of wind coming across the lake. The trees overhead shook their tangled branches. The blazing fire bent its flames as before a blast, and something swept with a terrific rushing noise about the little camp and seemed to surround it entirely in a single moment of time. DeFago shook the clinging blankets from his body, turned towards the woods behind, and with the same stumbling motion that had brought him, was gone gone before anyone could move muscle to prevent him, gone with an amazing, blundering swiftness that left no time to act. The darkness positively swallowed him, and less than a dozen seconds later, above the roar of the swaying trees and the shout of the sudden wind, all three men, watching and listening with stricken hearts, heard a cry that seemed to drop down upon them from a great height of sky and distance. Oh, oh, this fiery height. Oh, oh, my feet of fire. My burning feet of fire. Then died away into untold space and silence. Dr. Cathcart, suddenly master of himself and therefore of the others, was just able to seize Hank violently by the arm as he tried to dash headlong into the bush. But I want to know shrieked the guide. I want to see. That ain't him at all, but some devil that's been shunted in his place. Somehow or other, Cathcart admits he never quite knew how he accomplished it. He managed to keep him in the tent and pacify him. The doctor, apparently, had reached the stage where reaction had set in and allowed his own innate force to conquer. Certainly, he managed Hank admirably. It was his nephew, however, 
hitherto so wonderfully controlled, who gave him most cause for anxiety, for the cumulative strain had now produced a condition of hysteria, which made it necessary to isolate him upon a bed of boughs and blankets, as far removed from Hank as was possible under the circumstances. And there he lay, as the watches of that haunted night passed over the lonely camp, crying startled sentences and fragments of sentences into the folds of his blanket. A quantity of gibberish about speed and height and fire mingled oddly with biblical memories of the classroom. People with broken faces, all on fire, coming at a most awful, awful pace towards the camp. Simpson would moan one minute and the next would sit up and stare into the woods, intently listening and whisper, How terrible in the woods are, are the feet of them that... Until his uncle came across to change the direction of his thoughts and comfort him. The hysteria fortunately proved but temporary. Sleep cured him, just as it cured Hank. Till the first signs of daylight came, soon after five o'clock, Dr. Cathcart kept his vigil. His face was the color of chalk, and there were strange flushes beneath his eyes. An appalling terror of the soul battled with his will all through those silent hours. There were some of the outer signs. At dawn, he lit the fire himself, made breakfast, and woke the others, and by seven, They were well on their way back to the home camp, three perplexed and afflicted men, but each in his own way having reduced his inner turmoil to a condition of more or less systemized order again. Chapter 9 They talked little, and then only of the most wholesome and common things, for their minds were charged with painful thoughts that clamored for explanation, though no one dared to refer to them. Hank, being nearest to primitive conditions, was the first to find himself, for he was also less complex. In Dr. Cathcart, civilization championed his forces against an attack singular enough. To this day, perhaps, He is not quite sure of certain things. Anyhow, he took longer to find himself. Simpson, the student of divinity, it was who arranged his conclusions probably with the best, though not most scientific, appearance of order. Out there, in the heart of unreclaimed wilderness, they had surely witnessed something crudely and essentially primitive. Something that had survived, somehow, the advance of humanity had emerged terrifically, betraying a scale of life still monstrous and immature. He envisioned it rather as a glimpse into prehistoric ages, when superstitions, gigantic and uncouth, still oppressed the hearts of men, when the forces of nature were still untamed, the powers that may have haunted a primeval universe not yet withdrawn. To this day, he thinks of what he termed years later in a sermon, savage potencies lurking behind the souls of men, not evil perhaps in themselves, yet instinctively hostile to humanity as it exists. With his uncle, Simpson never discussed the matter in detail, 
for the barrier between the two types of mind made it difficult. Only once, years later, something led them to the frontier of the subject. Of a single detail of the subject, rather. Can't you even tell me what they were like? Simpson asked. And the reply, though conceived in wisdom, was not encouraging. It is far better you should not try to know, or to find out. Well, that odor, persisted the nephew. What do you make of it? Dr. Cathcart looked at him and raised his eyebrows. Odors, he replied, are not so easy as sounds and sights of telepathic communication. I make as much, or as little, probably as you do yourself. He was not quite so glib as usual with his explanations. That was all. At the fall of day, cold, exhausted, famished, the party came to the end of the long portage and dragged themselves into a camp that at first glimpse seemed empty. Fire there was none, and no punk came forward to welcome them. The emotional capacity of all three was too overspent to recognize either surprise or annoyance, but the cry of spontaneous affection that burst from the lips of Hank as he rushed ahead of them toward the fireplace came probably as a warning that the end of the amazing fair was not quite yet. And both Cathcart and his nephew confessed afterwards that when they saw him kneel down in his excitement and embrace something that reclined, gently moving beside the extinguished ashes, they felt in their very bones that this something would prove to be Defago, the true Defago, returned. And so, indeed, it was. Exhausted to the point of emaciation, the French-Canadian, what was left of him, that is, fumbled among the ashes, trying to make a fire. His body crouched there, the weak fingers obeying feebly the instinctive habit of a lifetime with twigs and matches. But there was no longer any mind to direct the simple operation. The mind had fled beyond recall, and with it too had fled memory. Not only recent events, but all previous life was a blank. This time, it was the real man, though incredibly and horribly shrunken. On his face was no expression of any kind, whatever. Fear, welcome, or recognition. He did not seem to know who it was that embraced him, or who it was that fed, warmed, and spoke to him the words of comfort and relief. Forlorn and broken beyond all reach of human aid, the little man did meekly as he was bidden. The something that had constituted him individual had vanished forever. In some ways, it was more terribly moving than anything they had yet seen. That idiot smile as he drew wads of coarse moss from his swollen cheeks and told them that he was a damned moss eater. The continued vomiting of even the simplest food. And worst of all, the piteous and childish voice of complaint in which he told them that his feet pained him, burned like fire which was natural enough when Dr. Cathcart examined them and found that both were dreadfully frozen. Beneath the eyes, there were faint indications of recent bleeding. The details of how he survived the prolonged exposure, 
of where he had been or of how he had covered the great distance from one camp to the other, including an immense detour of the lake on foot since he had no canoe. All this remains unknown. His memory had completely vanished. And before the end of the winter, whose beginning witnessed this strange occurrence, Defago, bereft of mind, memory, and soul, had gone with it. He lingered only a few weeks. And what Punk was able to contribute to the story throws no further light upon it. He was cleaning fish by the lake shore about five o'clock in the evening, an hour, that is, before the search party returned, when he saw the shadow of the guide picking its way weakly into camp. In advance of him, he declares, came the faint whiff of a certain singular odor. That same instant old punk started for home. He covered the entire journey of three days as only Indian blood could have covered it. The terror of a whole race drove him. He knew what it all meant. Defago had seen the Wendigo. Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today.